Today's show is completely different from anything I've done in the past. Our guest took my free course on building positive classroom culture and reached out to share how he used what he learned and to pick my brain about next steps. So what you're going to hear today is a coaching call of sorts. Before we dive into the call, I need to set the context for you by providing an overview of the course. Classroom Culture Foundations for School Leaders is a one-hour course that provides an overview of some of the most important frameworks for developing a positive classroom culture. These frameworks center around the three elements of relationships, management, and safety. In the course, I talk about using different forms of power to influence the different kinds of relationships you have with students and adopting constructive ways to respond to and think about safety events. There's also an overview of the elements of good classroom procedures and the process for teaching, rehearsing, and supporting those procedures. In the call, I want you to listen for a couple of things. First, the value of beginning a class routine, even in small group pullout classes. Secondly, how intentionally teaching a procedure on doing group work actually helps kids do better with group work. The idea being that they actually need to be taught how to do that. This third one you'll hear me emphasize in the midst of the call, but Mitchell's teaching a group process in his pullout classes, but that is spilling over into regular classes. How powerful is that? It's just so cool, but I'll draw your attention to it again in the call. You'll also hear me reference reteach, rehearse, and support, and those are specific concepts that I talk about in the course. Finally, what I'm modeling here is how an assistant principal or principal or instructional coach can have a discussion with a teacher about creating a better classroom culture, specifically through creating a procedure for group work. And I want you to notice and pay attention to how having the common frameworks and common language and expectations around procedures makes this conversation so much easier and so much more collaborative. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Frederick Buskey. We are all on a leadership journey. Every day, we have a chance to grow. Every day, we have a chance to help others grow. My goal and the goal of this podcast is to help you grow into being a strategic leader, a leader who puts people before purpose, who solves problems instead of treating symptoms, and who understands the difference between progress and action. Through this podcast, my daily email and virtual programs, I'm working to build a network of inspired and inspiring school leaders. Let's get started on today's adventure and this unique opportunity to learn to live and lead better. Mitchell Hall is a certified gifted and talented education specialist with Garrett County Public Schools in Western Maryland. He's been recognized at the state level for his role as a teacher leader in the field of gifted and talented education. Mitchell is also an aspiring school leader and recently obtained his school administrator licensure. He's currently in his 17th year of teaching and has a broad range of roles. He's taught history, special education, and of course, gifted and talented, and has served as an administrator in residence. In his current position, he teaches in multiple buildings each week to deliver primary talent development and GT lessons in grades pre-K through five. Mitchell, just tell me a little bit about 
the work you're doing and then taking the course, how that worked for you and then why we're here today. So I do gifted and talented, which also includes primary talent development. If you're familiar with that, like the pre-K to two, I go to the whole grade and then third to fifth, I pull small groups. Okay. I have five schools in five days. Um, luckily I don't travel during the day. So I just have one day, you know, at the school. So today I'm at Friendsville. I'm here at Friendsville Elementary School in Maryland. I'm out there, the, the whole group, it's not too bad. The, the teachers are there. They kind of have the routines and procedures. I feel like I I left the classroom 15 years ago. I mean, to, to do a small group, I had my own social studies class for eighth grade, 150 kids or something throughout the week. Yeah. But that was one year. And since then, it's been small groups, individual um, IEP services, um, intervention. So I don't really have the procedures, the come in, start the class. And seeing the kids once a week, I think, is a really, really unique challenge because I don't have... I don't have the consistency. I get them yeah. older ones an hour a week, maybe 50 minutes a week is what my schedule is. So I don't think I'm as strong on procedure as I'd like to be because I'm kind of looked at as a leader as one of the, one of the, I think the people that are expecting to move up into leadership here soon. Mm. And I feel like I, just the basic stuff, like procedures for group work and entering the room, it's like I've kind of lost my touch because when you have two kids, you just kind of walk them in, <laughs> you sit down and begin. So this course really, I think having the visuals, I, I'm actually going to share I don't know if I can share my screen if you're the host. I'll see if I can. If not, I can email them to you. But I actually made the like made the visual, made the five step, four step, you know, come on in and do this. And just the the change from the kids see that, I can just kind of point and they know, hey, it's time. I made a crab. So C is come in, R was be ready. A is go to your area and B is begin your work. Okay. So, so this is beginning of class routine. Yes. Yep. Entering the class, getting that warm up started. And even with my small groups, they come in. I'm like the fun uncle because they see me once a week. You know, it's a little mm -hmm. different, different environment than, you know, sit in the chair. You're like, you know, pretty much the procedure each day. When they're with me, I think they want to cut loose and they need that. They've got their academic peer group. But at the same time, I don't want it to get too far like where we feel like we don't have any procedures or we can come in and do a cartwheel across the front of the room and talk gymnastics instead of beginning the warm up. Yeah, well, and I, I like looking at this through the lens of small group and, and how does it change? And I think some of the reasons that you have that beginning class routine for a big class are actually the same that you would have it for the small group. And one of the things that really jumps out to me is that it, it gives kids some autonomy. Mm -hmm. So they come in and they start class, they get to work. And I think that that's, I mean, it's good for them. And it also allows you then to check in with them in a way that's different than, hey, you need to go do this. Right. And I like that dynamic. I like that small group dynamic. And I love hearing that autonomy. I do um, George Betts' autonomous learner model. So with me not seeing them that much, I try to hit those universal skills, You know, understand giftedness, what their needs are, and then how to advocate for themselves. And I really go through a, a frame of like, here are kind of the aptitudes we teach. Um, Dr. Jean Painter, she's she's huge here in Maryland. She was MSDE director and now publishes and consults, but gifted guru, and she's got these aptitudes. And I want them to really get into those, but I can't, just by virtue of my schedule, I really can't be there to do it as every step of the way. So they have to build that autonomy. I think academically they're getting there. I'm not sure procedure-wise I'm, I'm ticking that box the way I ought to be. So I think, I think you want to talk through a couple of the procedural issues. Is that right? Yes, please. Okay. Yeah. So group work was one um, beginning of the class. 
and group work would probably probably be my two biggest ones. And group work more in the whole class setting, which is a, a special challenge for me. I'm a secondary person, and mm -hmm. this position has me in kindergarten and pre-K every day. Mm. So getting you know four and five year olds to share the materials to decide what they're going to do before everybody grabs what they can, you know, what they can hoard for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So let's stay with that group one. Tell me what you're getting now from kids in terms of group work, what's working, what's not working. Group work, um, not, not working. That's probably the easier place to start. Not working is not deciding as a group, not talking kind of one person, one person dominates. And the younger kids aren't the best at sharing sometimes. So when they take, say, I lay some things out and say, talk about them with their groups, they'll do some builds, for, for instance. I give them random items. I want them to build something, engineer um, a mouse trap, something that would catch a mouse, something that would help a person with a limp walk better. And these are, I mean, they might have a lid from a Gatorade jar or a Gatorade bottle, a pipe cleaner, the little sealer for the, I don't even know what they call it, the end of a bag of bread, that little clip thing. They'd get some toilet paper tube, whatever whatever random stuff I can put together and make it the same for each group. And then I usually try to give some masking tape or something like that to tie it together. Paper clips are pretty common. Um, the pop cubes that stick together for math class. And they, they take those, but one kid will usually grab the stuff before everyone else. And then as I'm checking through and, hey, how's everybody doing here? What's your idea? They're, well, so-and-so took all the materials and started building before we really discussed it. So I did put in some group work rules, just some just some expectations for when we moved to group work and explicitly taught that. I think I was assuming that, and this is terrible, that they do this enough in class that they know how mm -hmm. to get into group work. And the teachers have told me, even up to like first, second grade, we haven't done a ton of that. Like, I'm glad they're getting that with you. So that, that was my light bulb. Like, I need to be explicitly instructing this. And that's that's where your course was super helpful putting it out there, not making that assumption. Um, you asked like how much of it is the kid issue and how much of it is our issue. Right. I'm not taking it personally, but there are things that I can be doing to really support this procedure too. So what's the procedure that you've worked to put in place? So I'm going to put them into groups and usually I'll choose the groups. Most, most um, class dynamics, it's better if I do that, but I gave them rules. Um, everybody gets to share their ideas before we even touch the materials. And I gave a job. So one person makes sure if someone's a little too quiet that they're sharing those ideas, um, try to elicit a response from everyone. No one can touch the materials until the group decides what to do with them. And I really talk up, you know, the group can decide without you, without going with, with your idea. So then you have to get on board with the group's idea if you're outvoted. Um, spend way more time planning than building. The build should be the quick part. Everybody gets to draw up and present their plan. And then everybody gets some part of the build and then I gave the jobs. Um, I had the one person who makes sure they share. I called that the sharing czar. I had the supplies manager and the vote counter to make sure that the group decides on something. Everybody gets to plan it, present to the group, and then they'll vote. And then they can touch the supplies only when the supplies manager decides we've decided what to do. And everybody has a certain part of the build they're going to do. So the supplies manager is giving out you know, the pipe cleaner and the little bread fastener and the paper clip and all those things to build. So one of the things that's really interesting here is that you're focusing on process. And I think a lot of times when, when we put kids into groups, we're kind of thinking about the product, right? I'm putting them into groups so that they can, they can do this idea or do this presentation or come up with this, this built thing. And so we have that product focus. And 
I think what's really good about what you've done is you've started to think about what's the process for getting there. And okay. so now you're teaching that process to kids. The translation, I think, is thinking about how we can represent that process in an acronym and a couple key words, right? Because that's that's the procedural part. Here's the procedure in a way that they can remember the the short stuff. But then what you're doing is you're attaching all these different things that you've talked about to the acronym and to the keywords and the procedure. So have you done that part? I didn't make the crab type poster for this for this process. No, not for group work. Do you, do you have do you have the thoughts on what the keywords are for the process? Yes. Um, no, I haven't narrowed it down. I have my um, I made the group work rules, and I I can say just starting out just what a difference when I lay out those rules beforehand, those expectations for who's doing what in the group. And I, I try to handle any misconceptions. You know, does, does that mean if my, if my idea isn't chosen, then I'm done with my group? No, I'm still, you know, I still need to, need to contribute. So that's made a big difference. And the teachers have actually noted, you know, they said how much better it goes. And, th and this was that whole aha moment where they said, I haven't been teaching this. I'm really glad you're hitting the, the group work. So that's, I think with an acronym, it'll take it to the next level where I can just say, remember the crab, for instance, or whatever it is for group work. Yeah. One of the things I advocate for is, is having common procedures throughout all classrooms. And it's really interesting. I mean, I think you're actually making a case for that right here because you're, you're teaching this one little kind of sliver of a skill set of a procedure and they're carrying it back into their classes already. Right. And you yes. see them how often? Once a week. Um, primary talent is 30 minutes a week. And third to fifth, my pullout groups are 50 minutes. Yeah. So you can imagine if every teacher at every grade was doing group procedures in a very similar way, like they would. They'd, all the kids would all be fluent. So um, I think one of the things as you as you go through, so if you're talking about the different roles that kids have, I like to use looks like and sounds like. Okay. Because that makes it really concrete for the kids. So if we're talking about, I think you said, if your idea is not chosen, right? You need to, right. to, so what does that look like? What is the actual behavior when they choose something else? How do you, if you want them to, to be affirming and to, and to get involved, what does that look like? Or, or what does it look like and sound like when we're having a disagreement, right? Mm -hmm. If you want your idea, I want my idea and somebody else has a third idea. And we have this process for working through it. Maybe you have a consensus process or something, but what does that look like? And what does that sound like? What kind of words are you going to be using? What am I going to see when I look over at your table that shows that you're using a consensus process and working it out instead of just, just yelling? And the kids, nine times out of 10, will be able to tell you what that looks like and what that sounds like. Right. And so now that's, that's that anchor piece. And then, then we can figure out, you know, what that keyword is for that. I mean, you could even use consensus. And then if you teach the kids, the consensus process, now you've got that built into your group thing. Okay. Would you still assign roles after you get the consensus process? Everybody's going to do it differently. I think roles can be really helpful, uh, especially with young kids. Because in good group functioning, there are roles. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the difference with adults that work in groups well is that they trade those roles off 
without any kind of you know formal formal thing. It's just something we all do. We know we want to make sure that everybody feels listened to. We want to build that consensus. We want to share different things. We want to take turns. Most <laughs> adults that we're working with do that naturally. But what we have to do is teach kids what those different roles are. And I think breaking them out so that one kid can focus on one role at a time is great for making it a little bit simpler to teach. And then over time, if you're able to have them rotate those different roles, okay. so choose a different role than what you did last time so they get practice at that. I've seen, I've seen teachers who do this a lot have little role cards Okay. So they'll have, they'll have an image. So like the taskmaster, uh, they, they'll have a, a circus, you know, circus guy with the whip. So that'll be the taskmaster and it'll be a couple just bullet points and keywords about what your job is. And then you've got your timekeeper and, and these different roles and, and having those cue cards is an easy way for, for kids to choose which role they're going to be, but also to have the kind of cues right in front of them because we're starting to get into a process more than a procedure, right? It's just a little more complicated. Right. Sure. But what you want as you think about the group procedure is how you get all these things working, how you summarize them in just keywords. Right. Right. So I'm just playing with this as we go. If if your procedure was group and so the first thing is go, right? You go to your group. The mm -hmm. second thing is roles. You choose your roles. <laughs> I mean, not far enough ahead for the yes. others. But if you if you think about the breakdown after they go, they choose the roles. Mm -hmm. You know what's okay. next, and if you can break that just into those couple steps, then you're going to be able to come up with the keywords. Okay. And then again, this is complex, so you are going to spend more time kind of reteaching and rehearsing. And mm -hmm. so the more supports like little cards or whatever, the more supports you can build in for them, the easier that process is going to go. And that's been an eye opener for me. I think going down to the elementary level where you, how much you support it with picture cues, with repetition. I went to pre-K this morning and I thought we're going to get this much done. And by the time we reviewed, I told you what our schedule's been like. I think I was here a month ago. The way our schedule worked out was crazy. We got about this much done. Whoops, <laughs> this much done as opposed to this. And we maybe just introduced the new part. And then I'm learning that's okay. Like the kids, they, they activated that prior knowledge. If I'm here again next week, like we'll be ready to run with it. But sometimes you do have to just go at their pace, go take what they can handle rather than what you planned out and wanted to do that day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I, mean, I got a workshop tonight with a bunch of teaching interns and we're working on this classroom procedures and building a positive classroom culture. And they've given a bunch of challenges and we're going to kind of review some of these foundational frameworks that, that are in the course and then work through some of these challenges. And you know, it could take 10 minutes. It could take 20 minutes or a half hour. I don't know. It's interesting when we, when we move off of, I have to get this much done mm -hmm. to prioritizing. Like, this is a concept we really need to do well. And we become more patient. It shifts the kind of learning I think that people do. We're able to get a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even prioritizing with this much time out of, out of school lately with the weird schedules and the snow, 
there are some classes, I mean, they, they got three lessons ahead of the others. And when I see it once a week, that's, that's like a month's worth of work. Yeah. It's okay to skip a few and just say, I'm prioritizing this skill. I'm not making sure everyone gets the exact same experience. I'm just going to go where the, you know, where there's more bang for the buck. I maximize that time that I do have with them. And it's, yeah. it's tough for me. I think we, like, we get so tied into standards and this is the plan. This is the order that we usually go in. And I'm learning it's okay to be a bit of a, a rule breaker when it comes to, to that. Just do what's best for the kids and the concepts they need. Well, and it's the same thing when you get into administration, because there's all the stuff that you have to do. There are all the tasks. There's so much that you can't really do it all, or at least you can't do it all well. So again, figuring out what standard, if you will, right? What part of leadership I'm going to invest more time in is that goes along with that whole idea of priority management that we talk about a lot. Yeah. And your Eisenhower matrix was new to me. So I'm, I'm trying to, a little bit as a hobby, trying to, when I get my to-do list, like, where do I, what needs to be done now? You know, what's urgent, what's important? It's so critical. And I mean, it's, it's a great way to organize your day around those priorities. And yet it's also a constant battle. And I think that idea of having that, that Eisenhower matrix posted is really valuable because it, it I mean, I do this stuff every day. I'm writing about all these things and yet I have to be really militant with my own schedule and be careful of starting to just chase things because they're in front of me as opposed to sit down and really prioritize. So, all right. Any, any other questions? I think that's a lot for, that's good for now. I mean, I think that's okay. the main thing, the, the beginning of class, um, the crab poster is working out really well so far. The kids really took to it. I have a bright red crab. I'll, I'll send it to you so you can see it, but they Yeah, please do. I'd love to see it some picture cues just to, you know, then a few words that remind them. And they're like, I mean, we had norms posted and we, we rehearsed at the beginning of the year, but it's a long year, you know, it doesn't always stick and having that support has been tremendous. So yeah. I'd anticipate the same kind of thing when I can figure out OUNP for group. <laughs> this will make an, another nice change for my groups and help us stay efficient. Good, good. Yeah, let me know what you come up with. Sounds good. And okay. thank you so much. We give uh, your resources yeah. I am so valuable and I appreciate it. Oh, great. Thank you. If you, you know, one way you can help me is you know, forward that link and, and share with your administrators what you're okay. doing. Because ultimately I'd like to reach a lot of teachers, but I think I do that through administrators and making sure that the concepts work for them because mm -hmm. then they'll be willing to promote it and share with their teachers. So yes. we appreciate it. Will do. All right. Thanks, Mitchell. Take hey, care. You. All right. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed listening to this coaching call and again, getting an idea of what it can be like as an assistant principal, principal or instructional coach, having a conversation with a teacher about establishing classroom procedures when there's a common set of frameworks, tools, and language around how we do that. I'll include links to Mitchell's crab procedure in the show notes and Mitchell finished his group procedure. And I'll also include that in the show notes as well. I'm really excited to share this with you because I think as leaders, when we can work with teachers using common frameworks, language, and expectations, that work becomes so much more collaborative and impactful. And that's why I built this course. This free course is an entry point into a larger package. 
I want to reframe how we think about management and discipline. I want to reframe how teachers and leaders talk about and collaborate on building a positive classroom culture. The full suite of courses will include this hour-long foundations course, but also four short courses for each element, relationships, management, and safety. Each short course will have two versions, one for teachers and one for leaders. The idea is to provide specific frameworks and tools for teachers and then specific techniques for how leaders can support those teachers. If we can all be speaking the same language, using the same tools, and view things through the same frameworks, I think we can get much closer to the magical place where teachers and leaders help each other create better outcomes for kids. Again, the course link is in the show notes and there should be something or something coming up soon on my website at frederickbuskey.com backslash courses. The free version of the course is intended for leaders. If you are a leader interested in exploring how your staff can have access to the full suite of courses, you can email me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com. Leadership is a journey and thank you for choosing to walk some of this magical path with me please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I'd like to do more of these coaching call episodes. So if you enjoyed this and if you have an issue that you'd like to talk through with me and would be open to having us do that on a show, email me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com and we'll look at setting something up. Have a great rest of your week. Be present for others and take time to reflect and recover so you can continue to live and lead better. Cheers. Thank you.